Well, this is episode two of Walking in Discipleship podcast. That is Walking in Discipleship podcast. And we are excited. This is like, you know, the kickoff of a Chiefs football game. Um, the uh, We have been discussing God's word and we've been, it, we're just excited about bringing it to you from the book called uh, The Walk, Everyday Spiritual Growth. We, um, we are delighted that you have joined us. My co-hosts are Brother John Veris and Pastor Tim Barr. I'm Alan Brace. And gentlemen, I greet you warmly. I know that you uh, didn't realize I was going to go down the Chiefs road. Uh, I realized that probably threw you off a bit. It's okay. We're in the second half of the season here in 2021. So when you say it's a Chiefs thing, we hope that means we're not ready to lose. Because that was the first part of their season. But we hope that the Chiefs are doing a little better now. Yeah. Hey, John, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me here. Hey, you're hosting. What are you talking about? Yeah, you're one of us. You're the host, man. The... uh, (laughs) Hey, by the way, Alan is our is honestly our host, is he, and we're just kind of co-hosting. But if you don't know about much about Alan, Alan is a deacon here at Tri City Baptist Church. Um, but I think he first and foremost identifies as a grandpa. All right, yeah, absolutely, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Um, and um, but uh, Alan has a long history in radio and serving churches, singing all kinds of ministry. Um, but you know, it's just a heartbeat of this entire kind of family of podcast is we want to see discipleship growing in our church and churches like ours. And, um, and so Alan, we appreciate you leading us through all this, but yeah, let's get started. Yeah. And I, and I think the other thing that we would like to do is just raise the literacy level, the biblical literacy level of those who are, who are discipling others who are being discipled, um, I think that there's a, a limit to how much people know about the scripture and we're trying to help that out. So, well, in our first episode, we talked about preparing the mind and the battles that go on in the mind, specifically the battle against the flesh and the battle of worry. Uh, in this episode, we will begin having uh, a discussion about the mind of God and where it goes from there. I don't really know. I, we're, we're trying to follow our book. We're, and if you're following along in the, uh, the book called The Walk, Everyday Spiritual Growth, uh, we are going to begin on page six. What is the need for a Christian to, uh, to um, think biblically? And, you know, how does the, uh, the power of the spirit and all that fit into it? Um, our, our book talks about, you know, having the mind of God. What does that, what does that mean? Let me start with what it does not mean. It does not mean that we could ever know all that God knows. Having the mind of God does not mean that he agrees with us. Okay. Having the mind of God does not mean that our perception of reality is identical to his. Okay. But John, what, what are some positive statements we can make about having the mind of God? Having the mind of God, I would say it's simply looking. It means simply looking at the world, the way God intends us to look in the way that God created us to think about the world and just simply thinking about our culture, our future, our hope, and everything that lays before us, the way God would look at that problem. Yeah, I love that definition. You know, if you think about it this way from Ephesians 2, when it starts at verse 1, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked, according to the course of this world, every single Christian started out spiritually dead and opposed to God. We, and you say, what is the proof? 
the proof is how we walked, how we lived. And I, and I think the reason that we all have that is that we are, it says, if we go down to verse three of Ephesians chapter two, it says we were by nature children of wrath. So all of us start out with this lifestyle, actions, choices, patterns, habits, the things we do create a lifestyle that is supported by our culture that is opposed to God. And we are by nature children of wrath. So we're sinners by nature. And the proof is we're sinners by practice. Now, Alan, how many of us are sinners like that? Oh, we all are that way. But we have been made a new creation uh, at the time at the time of uh, our salvation, and and Paul talks about the uh, transformation of the mind um, from a natural man, from an unbeliever or natural man to a believer, and in First uh, Corinthians chapter two, and it is amazing that the uh, how much we cannot understand about God if we're an unbeliever, and and everybody starts out that way. John, would you say that people, because you've worked in Europe, you have worked here in the United States, um, would you say that people generally uh, agree with the idea that we are all born in opposition to God, or would you say that our cultures tend to oppose that? Oh, not at all. Um, I think the worldview that the, the world has, and unfortunately tries to uh, disciple the church to think the same way, is that uh, basically, the human being is good by nature, and we don't have a sin problem. We have maybe an issue related to our health, and we need a therapeutic or some sort of um, medical help in all these kind of things. And this is just one of the things of the, of the categories of thinking that the world uses in secularism, humanism, relativism, and all these kind of uh, things that the, the world has. Right. And, and if you think about all the isms of our world, in all the isms of the world, there's basically two categories. There's ones that think that God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And then there's all the rest where we think we, our ideas are higher than God's. And I'll just say from our perspective, we're going to submit to God because Isaiah 55, 9 says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways. That is not me talking to God. That's God talking to me. All right. All right. So we need to realize that we start from a position of humility when it comes to thinking about ourselves before God. We're saying God's thoughts are higher than ours. That means ours are lesser than his. Is that right? Yeah. And how, but how would we describe that? Well, uh, you would ask, how, would, how do we get our hands around that? How do we know that, um, put that in perspective? And, and I think our book is kind of, kind of a good example here where it says, you know, you're looking at your house, you pull up to your driveway and you stand in the driveway. And unless you're like us and you have those goofy side entry doors, uh, you can see your garage door and maybe your front door, right? But God is looking back here from 30,000 feet and he can see your entire house. He can see your neighbors. He can see your neighbors coming home from work. I mean, he sees all that goes around uh, on around about you. And so it's that's sort of the perspective of us in our view versus what God can see and what his thoughts are. Right. So if we position ourselves rightly, like we are 
under God. We do not know as much as him. We still have to wrestle with this question. Um, can we ever think godly thoughts? Because if we can't think as much as God, if we can never see the world from his perspective, the question is, can we ever in any way gain at least a legitimate grasp of his perspective on our lives? And I think for me, that's where Romans 12 is so important. Um, John, when it says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. What is so, why is, why do we talk so much about transformation? What does that mean? It's actually, as the book says, is the word metamorphosis, um, which means basically a transformation, a, a radical transformation of the mind. And what is interesting there is that the context says, you know, do not be conformed, do not think like the world does, but be transformed, uh, metamorphosized by the renewal of your mind. And we, we see that all these kind of ideas are um, the will of God for the believer. Uh, it's not something that we uh, try to, um, to, to think for ourselves um, uh, to discern for ourselves is actually what we, it's, it's a normative thing, what the Lord wants for us. You know, the other day I was um, looking at paint colors for the outside of houses. And so I called up a paint store and I said, Hey, what are the most popular paint colors for the outside of a house? And what I was functionally asking is this, how can we make the house that we are painting conform to what is popular right now, right? How do we make this house look like all the other houses on the block? And I think in Christianity, what we're saying to Christians is we're not to be conformed to the world. We're not to paint our lives in such a way that we look like all the other Christians that are around us, but rather we get changed. We're different. But what I would just say is this, what's interesting in this verse is it doesn't say do not be conformed to this world, but be conformed to something else. It says, do not be conformed to this world, but be that metamorphosized, right? Be transformed. Now, Alan, is that inside out or outside in? That's inside out. You, there's a, uh, as I had a pastor tell me one time, you can't legislate morality. You can't legislate uh, spirituality. It starts from the heart. And it comes because the Holy Spirit is living within us. And, and, and that's where the wisdom of, for living and the transformation starts is because of the power of the Holy Spirit. I have a question for you, you two, the uh, brain wizards of this podcast. Uh, Philippians 2.13 it says, tell, and it tells us that it is God who is at work in you both to will and to do his good pleasure. Is that part of the transformation process that you're talking about? And what does that mean? I mean, that's like, now everybody get your shovels out because this is deep digging here. See, I'm going to take that what it doesn't mean. I'm going to chuck to John what it does. Um, when it says, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do his good pleasure, it, it does not mean that we can ever find God's will apart from God's work. Okay. What this proves is this: we cannot be conform ourselves to a pattern, a model, a standard of a church or anything else that will transform us in the way we, we ought to be. This has to be in some sense, the work of God. 
Now, John, in w- how much is God involved in the transformation of our minds? I mean, is he 100%, 50%? How's that work? Oh, it's all about him because the verse is telling us very clearly that it is God who works in you. So it's God's initiative. It's God's work. He is the source of this transformation, uh, both to will and to work. Uh, And what is the purpose? For his good pleasure. And this is what God thinks. This is what brings him pleasure is what God starts in us. Um, both to will and to work for him. So yeah. from a practical well, matter, how are you going here? Because if you take the next verse, because you stop reading in verse 13, verse 14 has a command. Do all things without complaining and disputing. So if I am a complainer by nature, and I like to argue with people, um, can I sit there and say, wait a second, it is God who's going to do the good work in me. And whenever God decides to stop me from being a complainer, that's his job. Or do I still have some responsibility myself, John? What do you think? Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, you hit the nail uh, in the head right here. It's not, uh, I mean, this is why it's good to read the verse in the context, because we might understand it if it's only God who works in us and uh, just stopping there. We might understand that we are somehow passive in the progression of our sanctification, in our faith. But uh, we see that Paul includes here that there is a human responsibility in all these kind of things, but we can do what the Lord wants from us only through him. But it doesn't mean that we are just somehow um, apart from him uh, in doing this. So there is an active obedience that we need. Let me keep reading that next verse because it's awesome. It says, do all things without complaining and disputing, verse 15, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God. You see, if we understand that the end game for us in our sanctification is to be the children of God, we realize it is God who does the work to make us his children, then we need to understand there's a compatible responsibility for us to be actively submitting to what God is doing. So, Alan, what what is the difference between resisting the work of God and submitting to it? Wow, you asked me a loaded question. Oh, man, um, absolutely. <laughs> um, submitting to God is, is where we freely... Um, First of all, we, we study his word. We learn to what he is, say, is saying to us. My question to you was going to be, how does he practically accomplish this in our lives? And, and I'm going to ask you to answer that in a moment. But we have, to have, we have to be involved in God's word so we know what his will is and then be willing, have a willing heart to submit to it versus going, I can't do that. I'm not going to do that. And, uh, and, and, and have that attitude where I don't want anything to do with what God's trying to change in my life. So my question to you then is, how does he practically accomplish that? In other words, I'll I'll jump in on that. Romans chapter six, starting in verse 12 is where we get the, the practical how to in Romans six, 12, it says, therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body that you should obey its lust. He said, don't let sin and your flesh drive you. Now, it doesn't stop there. The next verse, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin. 
By the way, in terms of members, I have a mouth. That's a member of my body. I have eyes. They're members of my body. I got ears. They're members of my body. I got hands and feet. And these are the members of my body. So if I am sitting there saying it is God who does the work to change me and I want to become a child of God, then what I need to do is I need to say to God, God, I'm going to let I'm going to submit my eyes to only look at that which you want me to look at. And God, I will only use my tongue to sing that which honors you and to say that which is good. Now, for me, I don't know about you, John, that means I need to start by saying, God, I have sinned. I have used my eyes in wrong ways and I have used my tongue in wrong ways. John, am I right? Oh, yes. And especially this um, phrase, children of God, uh, we, we shouldn't forget that we are adopted children of God. And that means we have a huge privilege to be adopted in God's family. But in the same time, we have some responsibilities. And this is what it means. Uh, it used to mean in the Roman Roman culture, uh, we see uh, based on history that children were adopted. But in the same time, they had the inheritance of their parents. But those children had to carry out the mission of the father. And so this is exactly what we have to do today as adopted children of God. And we are responsible for the way we use our mouth and our hands and our eyes and our minds uh, in the entire story. Well, so, I love this. If I go back and just, and I know we don't all have Bibles in front of us, but it says in verse 13 of Romans chapter six, and do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. So I wasn't going to say this. There must be the principle of replacement. And the principle of replacement is simply this. I used to use the members of my body to perform sinful actions. I will now use those same members of my body. It's the same eyes. It's the same hands. It's the same tongue. But now I'm going to use those as instruments to accomplish the righteousness to God. Uh, and brother, I, I agree with you in adoption. You know, we're now talking as part of a new family. Um, now, this, does, this presents for us a fundamental reality, and that is that we as believers live with two natures. We have an old man and a new man, an old nature and a new nature. John, what is the distinction between the two natures? Well, the distinction is just simply extremely radical. Paul uh, talks about that as just simply dying uh, against what used to be in the past and to be reason to a new life, to be a new creature. Uh, Paul also uses the, um, uh, some uh, theological categories uh, regarding uh, taking off clothes and putting on um, the new man. And so uh, when we are the adopted children of God, and if we really died and were risen with Christ and uh, to have a new life, it just simply means there has to be a difference between how we used to think in the past and how now we have to think and to uh, act. So you're you're telling us you we can't be in one foot in one side and one foot in the other. It's one or the other. 
Well, I think that was Paul, not not John, because Paul was the one that said, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. So I think that's divine inspiration from God. But John, you agree, right? Oh, absolutely. And in fact, Paul says to crucify, to kill the old um, men's um, habits. We were uh, we were talking earlier about the perspectives that each one of us bring to our, our gathering here, our, our podcast and my perspective, I run into people at where I work and, and in my circle sphere of, of uh, movement who think that a church should be able to, you should be able to go to church and worship God. And at the same time, at the same time, be able to continue your old lifestyle, hang out with your old friends and that sort of thing. And I think what we're saying here is, uh, I'm not thinking what we're saying. I know what we're saying here is, is you, you can't have both. You have to be one or the other. Either you are being conformed and transformed, uh, as, uh, as Romans chapter 12 says, being transformed, you've been changed. You have no more reason to be part of that over there. And uh, I, we get that discussion all the time. I mean, I, it's, it's, difficult to answer them until you pull out Romans chapter 12 and then they kind of frump and stomp off. But and notice the battle is not won in the political sphere. The battle is not won in the economic sphere. The battle is won in the minds and ideas of Christians. Um, we either win or lose by what we believe. And if we believe the scriptures and we believe what God has said so fully that we will be willing to base our life on it, then, then we are being transformed by the renewing of our minds. But we, we live in a world where everything is forcing us in the molds. And maybe it'd be good for us to talk about some of the molds that our culture is being forced in. John, this is an area where you spend a lot of time and you're thinking, um, Give us some, just, you know, if you would, the layman's version of some of the big cultural molds that you're seeing in Western culture where Satan is pushing people into bad molds. Oh, there are so many examples, unfortunately. For instance, humanism, where man is basically the highest authority, the most important thing in the universe, uh, where we see very clearly that... Uh, the the human uh, being is idolized then we have yeah, like richard said, dawkins i mean they talk about him as being the smartest man who ever lived and then what's his latest his final book of his life turns out to be that there is uncaused causes uh, you, you know um but you can be the most brilliant man that ever existed on planet earth and you you know and, and humanism will still worship him and his mind and his ideas but they will not submit to God, right? Right. For instance, I think this will hit uh, very close to home, uh, materialism, where people are just simply guided by earthly things and they think in these uh, manners. Everything, whatever, I mean, is important is whatever you can hold in your hands, your house, your car, uh, a good career, and all these kind of things. And uh, let's not forget, these are some good gifts that the Lord gives to people. But what happens is that we start to idolize those kind of things and we transform them in something that were not intended. Let's not forget about, for instance, pragmatism, another example. 
especially in this culture where people will think, well, this is moral or this is good if it works. Uh, these sort of like utilitarian principles that would guide uh, this uh, mentality. And unfortunately, we need to think and to analyze these uh, things uh, based on the word of God to be transformed and not to use the same categories of thinking that the world is using. Um, Yeah, and fundamentally, if God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, then what we're going to have to sooner or later admit is we're going to have a different thought pattern than the culture around us because what we're going to do is we're going to say this i cannot think in a way that makes sense to me instead i'm going to submit my mind and my thoughts to what god has said now for now this is maybe more my like wheelhouse academically kind of thing i love to talk about this idea that god knows everything he is infinitely all-knowing but none of us are But here's the one thing, because God is all wise, because God is all knowing, he was able to give us the word of God in a way that when we read it, we can actually know what is right and wrong. It doesn't mean we know everything that God knows, but what we can do is trust that what God has given us is actual truth that we can trust for right now. So in other words, there is a standard, there is something we can trust in, it is God's word. And and I think that that is the battleground in the culture in which we live today. Do we really believe in a relativistic world, in a world with with the internet and all the options, do we really believe there's an that God has communicated to us in such a way that if we trust the very words of, of a verse and we build our life on it, do we really believe that we're building our life on what God thinks? And my answer is, yeah, that's how we do it. That's it, basically the difference between a lie and truth. Truth, Because the, the word of God is, is telling us all those uh, worldly categories of thinking are just simply lies. And so by renewing our mind, we see the world from God's perspective, according to the word of truth and the, uh, we can trust in these and we can rest in these uh, things, knowing that we know the truth. By human nature, do we, uh, do we desire as humans to have an anchor that we can tie to? In other words, do we, even those who are ungodly, are we designed by God to have the desire to have something to hang on to? And, in this world of relativism and um, and everybody's everybody's way is right kind of thing, is do we find that people uh, people's minds cause them to des- still desire to have something to anchor to, something solid that they can know they can trust, um, or is the the difference between an unbeliever and a believer really marked by the fact that the unbeliever is just a sea they're run, they're in a little dinghy out in the middle of the ocean and the believer has this, the word of god to anchor to is that right. so the difference between a believer and unbeliever is what they believe about what jesus christ did on a cross 
Correct. Um, and I got to tell you, if someone, if, especially if you're a new Christian and you've only been a Christian for a while, let me just say, you're bringing years and years of thought and conformity to this world right into your new life. Okay. Um, so you're, it's going to be a process of battling your way out of those ideas. But here's the way I would put it is this prior to submitting to Christ, I don't know that Satan cares too much what it is that you believe as long as you don't trust God and the truth. Yep. Yep. Okay. So as soon as you put God and the truth into your system, you're going to find that there's going to be areas of great conflict, right? There's going to be areas where there's ideas that we have historically always believed. You're like, oh man, that's not what the Bible says. Well, at that moment, what are you going to do? You're going to find there's behaviors that you've always been involved in that all of a sudden you're going to have this conscience bearing against you or a Bible verse that directly opposes. And you're going to go, oh man, I got to stop that. And then you're going to see there's these commands that you're to obey and you're supposed to do things you've never done before. But just if you stop and think about it, that makes sense. You once were living conformed to this world, and now you're being transformed by the work of the Holy Spirit, using the word of God to change you. So it, it makes sense. There's going to be changes, right? Um, but the changes start at the idea level. They, they started how we think. And then as we begin to think differently, transformation comes. But, but just be as clear as we can be. The only thing that separates a, a lost person from a saved person is belief in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, and, and the day after you get saved, it's not like you forget everything you've ever learned. It's you're in for a battle. Exactly. Well, and the only way to really, uh, to have something to anchor to is to study God's word and to find out how we're supposed to live. Um, God's word has practical applications for every area of our life. Uh, and, and it discusses worry and what to do about it and, and all the practical things that we're supposed to do. Uh, we cannot emphasize scripture memory enough, uh, hiding God's word in your heart. And as we talked about before, uh, the three o'clock in the morning worry session, laying in bed and you can't turn the light on and read the word, you need to have it in your head and, and dwell on it. Um, and we also want you to be praying for those who you are discipling. Um, it's incredibly important to uh, pray for them and to lift them up before God. And uh, we just can't emphasize those two items enough. We, uh, we do thank you for joining us on the Walking in Discipleship podcast. If you're struggling with the battle for the mind, do not think you're alone or it's impossible to overcome. Bury yourself in God's word. God has promised believers that the Holy Spirit will light the way to understanding and filling your mind with God's word is one of the key items in this battle that we all face. Um, we trust that uh, you have found this podcast to be helpful. We invite you to join us next time when we'll be talking about biblical change and what it means and how that happens. And so until then, for Pastor uh, Tim and for Brother John, I'm Alan. So long. So long.